So, any of you who don't know me, uh, my name's Chris. I am a worship leader here at the church. I also, um, with Justin, um, lead a youth group, which has been a lot of fun. Um, we team teach, so kind of two weeks on, two weeks off. And I have been going through with the kids Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, which has been a ball. And if you've ever read that, you know that he can get deep. So we don't go through everything, but we discuss different topics that come up through uh, Mere Christianity. And when you're working with youth group, you can't just talk to them for 30 minutes. And I know what you're thinking. Um, Chris, you can't talk to us for 30 minutes. We're going to start to fall asleep. And we got the potluck, so I'm going to try. But, um, you know, when you're doing the youth group, you engage them. You ask questions. You get a discussion going. So that's where I'm coming from here. So I'm going to be asking a bunch of questions. They're going to be somewhat rhetorical, but um, it's just an opportunity to uh, get into his word and to uh, ask questions. All right. So the... The message is Jesus is Lord. And just a quick recap of Jude 4. Um, Pastor Rich um, was talking about that and that we'll read it. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and to deny Jesus Christ our only Lord and Savior. So Justin last week uh, talked about the first part of that, the grace of our God, from Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And he talked about that we are saved by grace. It's not by works so that none of us can boast. But at the same time, he talked about in verse 10 that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That God's grace doesn't give us a license to sin, but leads us to the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. So he looked at that part of um, these uh, false teachers. That was the part that they were focusing on. I'm going to focus on the second half of verse 4. False teachers who deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. And we'll be looking at Philippians 2, um, 5 through 11 or 6 through 11. So if you want to turn there, um, you can uh, put your finger there for now. But first, let's look at the idea of what does it mean to deny Jesus. Denying, when you deny something, you say that isn't true. So, they're denying who Jesus was. They were arguing that that's not true. So, it leads to the first question. Who is Jesus? It's an important question. We've got to figure that out. See, I like to ask questions. And... It's an important question. It's an important enough question that Jesus asked it to his disciples. Matthew 16, 13. He's got, he's got the disciples. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? He's asking them, okay, what are people, what are people saying who I am? And he got some answers from the disciples. Um, some said John the Baptist Um, Some say Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. That was the answer that they were getting from people. I saw a commentary that said, if some people thought he was John the Baptist, that's a little weird because they were contemporaries. It's like every once in a while some people get me and Patrick confused and mixed up. But um, yeah, so but 
the idea, though, is, you know, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, those are great men of God who are doing his work. So it's, it's not a bad thing to be compared to those people. But that's not exactly right. And then if you think about what other people in, throughout the Bible thought of Jesus, they thought he was, you know, they called him teacher. They called him rabbi. They called him good teacher. They called him Lord with little L as, you know, out of respect for him and, you know, his position. They called him king of the Jews, little k, because they thought he was going to start an, an uprising. These are just some of who people thought Jesus was. But, of course, the next thing Jesus asks is, okay, what about you? Who do you say that I am? So that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at, specifically, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, 6 through 11. Um, This is what Paul tells us of who Jesus is. So, Philippians 2, I'm going to start with verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for an opportunity to look at it, to see who Jesus was, who he said that he was, God. What that means for us as far as what our response is, and more so what that means for our lives, what we need, how we need to respond. We just want to get into your word and know who you are and respond. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We could spend weeks on this, these six verses. And I don't have weeks. Sorry. Um, so I want to focus on verses 5 and 6. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Before I go on, um, when I was first growing up, I, I've read this, this verse um, many times. And when I heard that part, not something to be grasped, I completely misinterpreted what he meant by that. I thought he meant equality with God is not something that I can grasp. I, I took it that way. Is, I don't, that's not something I can understand, which is not how he meant it, as I was talking to someone last week. That's not his point, but that is a point. It, it, it's hard to grasp the idea of someone being fully God. And it's even more... Um, difficult to understand when you look at what the actual Greek translations are. For being very nature God, that word being is, um, um, oh, yeah, sorry. It's the Greek word haparchium, 
which translated means, and I got this um, from Barclay, describes that which a man is in his very essence and which cannot be changed. It describes that part of a man which in any circumstances remains the same. So when he's saying he is being in very nature God, and then the in very nature is the same idea. It's the essential form which never alters. So when he's saying he's in very, being in very nature God, he is saying that he is God, that he is, that is who he is. It does not change. He came to earth God. And again, using my version of the word grasp, that's, that's hard to grasp. I, I, I fully understand that. But that was, what, who, that was who Jesus claimed to be. Jesus claimed to be God. And it's, it's absolutely, it's in the Bible. He does it many times, but one, the one that uh, is, kind of hits you is uh, John 8, uh, f- uh, 54 to 58. He's having a discussion with the Pharisees um, about who he is, that his father has sent him, that your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And then they go, you're not yet These are the Pharisees. You're not 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Does anyone remember remember what Jesus' response to that is? That's right. Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. And the I am is the the name of God. That is Yahweh. That is the name of God. So he's right there claiming to be God. And then the next line is they pick up stones and they're going to stone him, but uh, he slipped away. Because they understood he was claiming to be God. All right, so it goes back to the question, who is Jesus? He is God. That's what he claims to be. So now here's the part where we, if they're denying who Jesus was, that's, I love this argument. We did this in youth group. It's the liar, lunatic, lord argument. And it's the idea that um, yeah, a lot of people think he, could, he was a good teacher. He had some great ideas. He was a great example of someone to follow, which is hard to reconcile if he's claiming to be God. And so that's where this liar, lunatic, lord theory comes from. And if you think liar, lunatic, lord, that's a classic example of alliteration. They picked those L words because, you know, people remember things when they're set up that way. I'll give you an example. How many people are superhero fans? Marvel. Oh, yeah, Marvel. Well, they love to use it. Um, Peter Parker. Bruce Banner. Clark Kent. Lois Lane. Lex Luthor. There are more. There are about a dozen or more examples where they just love to use alliteration because they think that you'll remember that. And I think that's what liar, lunatic, lord is. It's the example that, um, you know, they're trying to get us to remember. (laughs) C.S. Lewis, when he's talking about the liar, lunatic, lord, he does not use the word liar. Liar is, I think, a little tame for him. He, he, kind of blows that word out of the water. So let me, I, I want to read it because we've been doing a promiscuous humanity. I want to, this is his 
summation of what this liar-lunatic-lord argument is from mere Christianity. I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying really foolish things that people often say about him being Jesus. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who thinks he is a poached egg, or else, here we, this is the part, would be the devil of hell. Yeah, that's stronger than liar. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. That's, that's where the denying Jesus just falls apart. If you want, because a lot of people want to say he's a good moral teacher, he's a good man. Has, it, it doesn't work if he claimed to be God. Which leaves... which leaves the reality that he was God. And that is where the idea of something to be grasped, this is where what he meant was equality with God was not something that he grasped. It's not something he, was, he held on to sometimes and could lose it. It was something he was, going back to the definitions. He was fully God and fully man. And that's a hard, again, my definition of grasp, that's hard to understand. That's hard to get your head around. It's one of those ideas that fully God, fully man, how does that work? And that's where faith comes in. That's where believing. That's where under, believing what the Bible says, that he was who he said he was. Which gets to the next point of what does Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord was, when they, when they said that, they, that was meaning he is God. So what does that mean for us? And in, I'm going to jump down to verse 10 and 11, where it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Eventually, everyone will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. David Yusick had a quote this, um, from, about this, um, that Paul does not imply that this is a universal salvation, but means that every personal being will ultimately confess Christ's lordship either with joyful faith or with resentment and despair. Now, I don't know about you. I would rather have the uh, joyful faith than the resentment and despair. That, that's just me. But it's, it's clear that this is part of salvation. And Paul also talks about it in uh, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
These are the two pieces. You believe and you declare. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And I've got two real-world examples of this, as, as Justin said, from history. The first one is out of John 20, our good old friend, uh, Doubting Thomas. If you know the story, Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to all his disciples, except Thomas wasn't there. Now, we don't know where Thomas was. Jesus appeared, and he said, and so they're saying, we have seen Jesus. And Thomas's response was, unless I see the nail marks and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And then, I was reading this, it says, a week later, the, uh, anyone got watched SpongeBob? One week later. <laughs> but um, it's the idea that, um, I, I never noticed that, he had to wait a week. So all these disciples are talking about, oh, remember, we saw Jesus. Really? You see, I didn't see him. I wasn't there. Did they see him again during that week and Thomas wasn't there? We don't know. But Thomas had to go a week before he um, was with the disciples again. And Jesus finally appears. He shows him the hands and his side and says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Thomas's barrier was, I need to see the hands, and I need to see the side. That was what he needed to believe. Jesus met him where he was at. And do you remember what Thomas's confession was? My Lord and my God. Okay. Second uh, history is my testimony. Um, I was, as I was thinking of this, when I became a Christian, um, it was the sophomore I was the summer of my sophomore, right before my sophomore year, I went to a Camp Berea in New Hampshire for two weeks. And they had worship every night. And big surprise, I enjoyed the worship. I loved the worship. I, I loved to sing. So I was singing these songs. And there was one song that I have not heard anywhere else, but they played it that week at camp. It was called Lord, I Believe. And it was a series of statements I believe you are the Christ, Lord, I believe. I believe you were born of a virgin. I believe you suffered and died. I believe that you rose again. I believe that you are alive. And I heard this song. They played it pretty consistently all through the two weeks. And it was the Wednesday of the second week. So I've been there 10 days. And I was in the worship that night like any other. And I was singing this song, Lord, I believe. And in that moment, you know, Remember how I, sometimes I say, listen to the lyrics and don't just sing them? Well, for that night, I listened to the lyrics and I believed. It was like, yeah, I do. I believe what I'm singing. And that's what God knows how to get, knew how to get to me. He said, worship is your thing, music is your thing. So now listen to the lyrics. <laughs> and so I did. And I, I knew I was changed. It was different. I knew something was different that night. But then, so that was my believing. But then I went back to my cabin, we were living in cabins, and my, uh, my, my um, counselor was there. And uh, I, I think I said something like, um, I think I just became a Christian. <laughs> and I, I'm just thinking, I mean, it wasn't my Lord and my God, but it was, it was a confession to who he was. The, he was the only one there at the time. And I just, yeah, I did. So, and that's my story. 
And I just want to take a minute. If for those, if, if you haven't made that belief and confession, if there is something holding you back from believing, whatever that sticking point is. Again, Thomas, it was he needed to see the hands in the side. For me, it was connecting the words that I was singing with what they meant. God will meet you where you're at. So whatever you're, if, whatever you're struggling with, whatever, ask God to reveal himself to you. He will show you in that unbelief what, who he is, who he is absolutely is. And then grab someone here, because there are people here who would love to hear that, that you have, you know, you believe in Jesus. So that's the first piece. The first piece of Jesus is Lord is confessing and making that commitment. All right. So for those of us who have already made that commitment, I know a lot of us have already believed and confessed, what does that mean? Okay, well, now it's what do we go from there? And the, fir- the first thing I want to look at was James 2, 18 and 19. James talks about, okay, you believe. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, I have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That's the, okay, you believe that Jesus is God, what we've talked about here. Okay, well, I think James is a little bit sarcastic. He's saying, well, okay, good. The devil believes that. The devil, the demons, if you look at uh, Jesus' mystery, they, all these you know, demon-possessed people knew who Jesus was. But the question is, what comes next? If we leave it at just believing but have nothing to show for it, here's a question. Are we different than the demons who believe? If we, don't, if we have nothing, no actions in our life, you know, this faith without action is dead. The question becomes, was the faith ever alive to begin with? As Justin said last week, we are saved by grace. It, it's not, not by works so that we can't boast. So it's that grace is a free gift. But, as he said, it should lead to go, good works. It should be, there should be a response in what we do, in how we act. Romans 6, 15 to 18. This is, this is verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. That was Justin's point last week. Is, no, don't keep sinning because we're under grace. But then it continues. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedient, to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that now claimed your allegiance. I don't think we'd like to hear the word slaves because it, it, it just sounds like you know, we're being forced to do something. 
But ultimately, we need to follow Jesus. But I love the second half of that verse where it says, we obey from the heart. You obey from the heart the pattern of the teaching that has claimed your allegiance. And that comes to the last, the last piece of the heart. When we talk about, you know, what does it mean for us? Jesus is Lord. It means we act, and it means we obey. But it's not as someone who is forced to, that, you know, we, we have to. It's because we love. It comes out of love. If you could turn to John 14. Take a minute. Jesus spells it out very clearly. What it means to follow him. What it means to, put, to just make him our Lord. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, Keep my commands. Yeah. If you love me, keep my commands. And uh, David Gusick um, had a great um, explanation of this. This is a fair measure of our love for Jesus. It's easy to think of loving Jesus in merely sentimental or emotional terms. It is wonderful when our love for Jesus has sentiment and passion but it must always be connected to keeping his commands or it isn't love at all. I love worship. You know how much I love worship. But if my only way of expressing my love of God is through worship and singing, I mean, it, it's great, but that's, it's just it's passion and sentiment. If you know, I read the Bible, but I don't, and I, and I believe, if I believe and I confess, but that's, it, then it's not, it's not love. Loving Jesus means obeying his commands, whatever they are. Um, David Gusick had another, another idea. It isn't fear, pride, or desire to earn blessing. The proper source of obedience is love. If we love Jesus, we will obey his commands. And the best example of this is John 21, which is uh, Peter's restoration. It's after Christ has risen. He's come back. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, they go, they go to the side, and Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then a third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, he keeps calling him Simon. But at another place, he renamed him Peter, which meant rock. And the, the reason he named him Peter is that he was going, Peter was the rock he was going to build his church on. Peter was going to start the Christian church, and that was his calling. 
And so here we see that Jesus is telling Peter, loving me means doing what I have commanded you to do, what my calling is. My calling is for you to build our church, love people, spread the gospel. And each time he says, yes, Jesus, I love you, Jesus comes back, okay, then this is what my command is for you. This is my calling for your life. It starts, again, loving Jesus means doing, as Justin said last week, the good works that he has prepared for you. This is what he had prepared Peter to do. So, it asks the question, okay, so what is our calling? Justin talked about how we are called in advance to do good works. What are those good works? What has God called us to do? That was Peter's calling. Each of our callings is different. Each of what God's command, when he said, you know, if you love me, keep my commands. What are his commands? Part of it is getting into the Bible and reading. He will speak to us through his word. But here's the thing. When, he, when Jesus says, you should uh, still be in John 14. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. He then doesn't say, all right, go off, go ahead, (laughs) good luck with all that. The next thing he says in verses 16 and 17 is, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But if you know him, for he lives with you, but I'm sorry, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus isn't going to ask us to do anything that he is not going to equip us to do. The next verse, after he says, love me and keep my commands, is, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to help you. And I will come to you. It's, he's going to be there through it all. He is going to equip us and be with us for the good works. So I don't know what your good works may be, but God does, and he's going to help you figure that out through the Holy Spirit, through his word, and through Jesus being with us. And if you notice, that in that verse, um, there's the three parts of the Trinity. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate, the Holy Spirit. That's the idea of the Trinity, which is another of those grasp. If you use the, my definition of grasp, is things that we don't fully understand. I mean, the Trinity is a big, weird topic. But you know what? We understand needing help. We go through each day needing help here and needing help there, needing help to discern what God's plan is for us. Jesus knows that we need help. He wants to help us. So as I, as I leave, as I have you leave today, just know that Jesus is there to help. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are, that you are God, that you are Lord. God, if there's anyone here who has not yet believed and confessed. God, help them 
with their unbelief, meet them where they're at, whatever barrier, whatever question, whatever um, is holding them back, that you would reveal yourself, that you would answer their questions, that you would meet them where they're at, that they might believe in you, and that, that, that they, might, they might confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And God, for those of us who have already made that confession, help us to love you by keeping your commands, that you would show us what that means, that what it means to be obedient, that you would help through the Holy Spirit to guide us in the path and the good works that you have for us to do. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for an opportunity to see you, to see you for who you are. And God, we give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.